Well, hello there, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Friday Night Six Pack. I am your host, as always, Tony Defio, and I thank you for joining me on this pretty decent Friday night weather-wise in Pittsburgh. It's in the 40s, which is pretty good for December 9th, which is the date that I am streaming this podcast, the Six Pack. And as I always say, I hope it's nice and decent and pleasant. For December 9th or 10th or 11th, wherever you are and whenever you are listening to this podcast in Steeler Nation. And before I continue with tonight's show, I, as always, I please would like to ask you to like and subscribe to our Behind the Snow Curtain YouTube channel. We bring you live shows each and every day and night, including this show earlier on Friday. You heard the hangover. I'm sorry, the hangover. Wow. The Touchdown Under with Maddie Peverall and Mark Davison, the blokes from Australia, bringing you great Steeler knowledge. Uh, we have shows like The Preview every Thursday night with Brian Anthony Davis, Jeff Hartman, and Dave Schofield. We have Wednesday. I'm skipping over to Pleasure Days. Wednesday, we have Know Your Enemy with Jeffrey Benedict and Shannon White. Tuesday, we have The Scobro Show with Dave Schofield and Rich Schofield. We have The St- State of the Steelers with Daniel J. We have we run the North with with uh, Kevin Tate and his buddies. They discuss all things AFC North related. We have the Steelers post game show, very popular post game show with Brian, Jeff, and Dave after every Steelers game. So check all those shows out. You can check them out live on Facebook as well. And if you're watching me on Facebook, you know that. And as I always say on Facebook or to Facebook, please be nice. I know you're Facebook and you can't help it. But just try for once to be nice. All right. And, of course, you can catch all those live shows on any audio platform of your choosing after the fact. If you can't watch anything live, if you don't want to watch my face live, I get it. You can listen to me after the fact on any audio platform. I like iHeartRadio. Spotify is good. Uh, uh, Google is good. Apple. I mean, anywhere. Anywhere. You can find all of our audio uh, content. And, of course, you can find audio-only shows. Well, including I with Jeff Hartman, one with Matty Pepperall, From the Cutting Room Floor with Jeffrey Benedict, Bad Language with Brian, Here We Go to Steal a Show with Brian, The Stat Geek with Dave, uh, What You's Talking About with Kyle Christ and his buddies, The Steelers Fix with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar, and I think I got them all. And if I didn't, trust me, uh, just check out all of our content. Just go to Behind the Store Curtain, the podcasting channel, and you'll see a whole list of stuff. You can find it on, on Behind the, the Steel Curtain, the website. You can find it on any platform. If you, if you type in Behind the Store Curtain, you can find our podcasting uh, uh, schedule, our lineup, and it's, it's, it's extensive. So please check it out. And, of course, check out Behind the Still Curtain, the website. We bring you news. We bring you commentary. We bring you film breakdown. It's your one-stop shop for all your Steelers needs. And let's check out the live chat. And I saw who was playing tonight. It was Jared Devil. He gets a, he gets a win. That's a win in, in the uh, in the W column for, for Jared Devil. So welcome. Pedro's with us. Steeler Chick 46, Brian Brown, Brad Jewett. Sherry Richards. I haven't seen Sherry in a long time. Welcome, Sherry. And she says she is ready for the Ravens. Yes, it's Ravens week, as you know. Deb Skowrowski, Claude Bishop, George Teston. What a lineup we have tonight. Jennifer Flower, or Fowler, I'm sorry. Or Jeannie Fowler, my bad. Jeannie Fowler. All right. Let's have a great show tonight, kids. And let's start off by talking about last week's game, the 19-16 uh, to 16 win over the Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And I thought the offense, I, I think I say this every week, but I thought the offense looked the best that it has all season. I mean, I really do think it's starting to improve each and every week. And as I, I said on a hangover on Monday with Brian and Shannon, it just feels like the offense these last few weeks is just close to breaking close to breaking open, you know, close to busting out. Um, 
you know, they controlled the, the game again on the ground, uh, 154 yards rushing, 86 on 17 carries by Najee Harris. Uh, and and, and it's, it's, it's the fifth straight game. They, they've rushed for at least 100 yards, 100 yards or more, I should say. And, uh, you know, that was a, a big problem for them for the longest time. And, and now that since the bye, it seemed like they've really figured out a way to run the football effectively. And, of course, that starts with the offensive line. And uh, it starts with the, the, the running backs, uh, especially Harris, who, who was guilty of not being decisive, dancing around uh, over the first eight games. I mean, he's running decisively now. And James Lofton mentioned something about the who, – he did the, uh, the game for uh, CBS. He mentioned the, how the, the uh, Falcons rookie running back always looked like he was running on a rail. That's how these Steelers running backs are, are looking now. It looks like they're 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 running on a rail. As soon as they get the ball, uh, they head for a specific direction, whether it's up middle or or, or off tackle. And it's 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 far it's been far more effective. It had the longest time, and I think that's because they have somewhere to run. They have a, they have a lane to run to. They have a hole to hit. Uh, it's much easier when when when. Uh, there are holes uh, than it is when you're getting hit a yard after you uh, take the handoff, if not before that. So and the biggest component for them is uh, this stretch of games where they've won three out of four since the uh, bye is the ability to run the football. And it's allowed them to, to, to addict uh, the action. It's allowed them to, to set the pace for these games. It's allowed them to control the games. Quite frankly, it's, it's felt like they've been in control of every game since Dubai, with the exception of the second half against the Bengals, uh, the second game after Dubai, and uh, that unfortunate loss. Um, the, the only blemish, blemish, speaking of blemishes, my ability to talk sometimes, uh, their only blemish on this, on their uh, record since Dubai. Uh, but other than that, they've they've controlled the tempo of the time of possession everything and, and it just feels like they're this close to to breaking through on offense and really having a big game um that makes you maybe sing the praises of matt canada <laughs> probably not but uh, reason to do it if they would ever break through and again it just feels like they're, they're off by this much um in these games especially if you look at the atlanta game early on uh there was a Kenny Pickett, he missed a, a, a an open Pat Fryermuth. I think it was on the second possession. Uh, there he hits him there. It's a touchdown. It makes it ten nothing. Uh, uh, that game, a drop pass, a drop pass by Deontay Johnson on third down that would have gone for a first down and kept another drive alive, uh, and maybe could have gone for a t- touchdown. I think just a field goal on that drive. Um, you know, missed blocks. Uh, poor decisions, penalties, these kind of things are stalling some of these drives and, and forcing them to either punt or settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown uh, when they get inside the red zone. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals. Um, like if you saw their, their, uh, how their, their, what led to their only touchdown of the, of the, the, the game, a 17 yard strike from, from Pickett to, Rookie uh, Connor Hayward, the tight end, uh, it was a great story. Uh, they were the Haywards were back in their home city of Georgia. I'm sorry, Atlanta, uh, where where they live with uh, with their where they were born and and where their dad uh, Craig Ironhead Hayward played a lot of the football career. The late great Craig Hay- uh, Hayward, and Obviously, Connor caught the, uh, the the touchdown. So that was a great story right there. That was a touching moment. They had visited their dad's grave earlier that weekend, both uh, Connor and, and Cam Hayward. So that was a touching story. Uh, but what led to that touchdown was a 57-yard catch and run by Pat Fryermuth, the other tight end, <laughs> the uh, starting tight end. Uh, and that was the biggest play of the year for the offense, 57 yards. And that, that was because of, of – uh, Yak yards by Fryermuth, something you haven't seen all that often from this offense this year. And quite frankly, uh, you haven't seen uh, many chunk plays at all. Um, you know, but I think that's what you need to have more of 
for this offense to, to maybe be more explosive. You know, the idea of driving 11, 12, 13 plays and covering and taking a lot of time off the clock, that's nice. And that's a coach's dream usually. But, you know, Dick LeBeau, who was the uh, defensive coordinator for the Steelers for, for a number of years, his philosophy always was uh, don't let anybody get behind you, uh, tackle to catch, keep everything in front of you. And if you give these guys, these, these opposing offenses, these opposing quarterbacks, 12, 13, 14 plays, chances are something's going to gonna go wrong for them at some point. Somebody's going to miss a block. Uh, he's going to throw a pick. Somebody's going to fumble. There's going to be a penalty, and that's going to kill a drive. So it's nice to be able to control the clock and, uh, and, and take time off the clock and, and go on these long drives, but it, it does increase the chances of somebody on offense screwing up and something breaking down and it, 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 it leading to the, to the, uh, the drive breaking down and, and, and coming up short of a touchdown, or maybe you tur- turn the ball over, whatever. So I think moving forward, what I like to see from this offense, and I think every fan would like to see this. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a no brainer to say is more big plays. I think the more big plays you get, uh, the better chance you have of scoring a touchdown. So that's the one thing. And, 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 and if you go back earlier in that game, uh, or maybe it was later in that game, I, I get the, the, the plays mixed up. But Najee Harris looked like he had a chance at, at perhaps breaking a long run, maybe for a touchdown, who knows, taking it to the house. And he stumbled. Uh, and it was a d- decent game. It was like 15, 20 yards, something like that. But it could have been 40 yards. That's the thing. These are the things with this offense. You see improvement, and that's encouraging, and that's way better than we, what we saw over the first eight games. But, you know – there's still some mistakes out there that, that need to be rectified and need to be, need to be corrected. And, and if they do, that could be what takes this offense to an even uh, higher level. You know, uh, it, it's, 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 it's unrealistic to expect this, this offense to go from, you know, barely being functional and, and, and going three and out constantly to, to being this juggernaut, this potent unit that puts 35, 40 points on the board. That That's unrealistic, but, uh, you know, still you, you want to see them continue to improve and continue to get better. And, and you have to like what you see overall. You're seeing improvement and, and that improvement will lead to, to um, well, it, it'll go from where they are right now in terms of, of, uh, of being and, 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 and possess the ball and, and, and control the, uh, uh, the time of possession. It, it'll go from that kind of an offense that we're seeing right now where they're scoring 17, 20, 24 points a game now to maybe another level where they're, where they're able to, to strike from uh, anywhere on the field, maybe not over an entire game. Cause I don't think they're, they're there yet, but maybe two or three times a game capable of striking with a big play and, and, and either scoring a touchdown or, or setting the offense up in, in prime uh, position to score a touchdown. So uh, those are my thoughts on the offense for that game. I mean, I thought Pickett, he, he wasn't as good as he was against the Colts, I don't think. Uh, 16 to 28, 197 yards in the touchdown, but he didn't turn the ball over for the fourth straight game. The offense didn't turn the ball over, so that's another thing you'd like to see. Um, but uh, I think the, the, the maybe the most important player in that game was Matthew Wright, the uh, place kicker. Four for four on field goals. Um, didn't miss an extra point. So he contributed, what, 13 of the 19 points. And he's been quite defined for them. You know, uh, you, you, when, when, when Chris Boswell went down with that injury a few weeks ago when he was put on IR, you know, the way that offense was struggling to, to score any points, uh, you had to feel quite alarmed by the news that, that Boswell was going on injured reserve. And it wasn't long ago that trying to replace a kicker like him, arguably the, the best kicker in the league, certainly in the top two or three with uh, Justin Tucker and maybe one or two other, other guys can, can, can uh, make that claim. Um, uh, that, that would have been a, 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 there would be no doubt that you would, you would uh, the guy who replaced him would, would be a severe uh, downgrade. Well, Matthew Wright, I mean, 
we're talking about somebody who, uh, after Sunday's game, is now 12 of 14 on the season. Uh, and, and he hasn't missed a, a, a kick since that Cincinnati, or I'm sorry, since the Saints game when he was two for four and he missed, well, one of the kicks was, was a, 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 from, from 36 yards away. And then the longer kick that he missed was so far to the left, it was, you thought he was going to get cut after that game. I'm, I'm not sure if you can get cut if you're signed from somebody else's practice squad, or at least maybe you're owed three weeks of, uh, of, of pay. But either way, <laughs> you had to wonder about his future, his immediate future after that game. And he hasn't missed a kick since. Uh, and he's made all of his extra points. You know, he's a little shaky on kickoffs. He doesn't have the leg for that, but he certainly has the leg for 50 plus yarders. He's six of eight for his career. Uh, he made a 59 yarder, I think it was with uh, Kansas City or maybe it was uh, Jacksonville that he spent 2021 20, with. But he's definitely made a 59 yarder for his career. And he made one from 52 yards for Pittsburgh this year. So he's six of eight in that category. So he definitely has a, a strong enough leg. To, from 50 plus yards out, which is a uh, must for, for most kickers in 2022. So uh, kudos to him. Uh, I expect him to, when, whenever his time is up in Pittsburgh, as soon as Boswell uh, is activated and he, his 21 day window or his 21 day clock was started on, uh, I guess on Friday, they have 21 days to activate him from the IR. So I'm not sure if he's going to play on Sunday or not. But when he does finally get activated and Matthew Wright is in pack, he might not find a job this year, but I expect him to, to be in serious contention for a job uh, in somebody's training camp in 2023. And, you know, like I wrote about the other day, you used to be able to find three or four kickers, starting kickers in the NFL who had Wright's leg strength, and accuracy. He's 40 or 46 for a career now. Uh, you used to be able to find three or four of those guys as as starting kickers in the league. Now you expect all 32 the 32 kickers to be that good, and you're finding guys on a practice squad, guys who who, who are, are totally unsigned that are that good. It just shows you, like I touched on earlier in the year, the 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 revolution of of, of kicking in today's NFL is one of the most under discussed aspects of, of, of football. And, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's just such a, a, a big part of, of today's NFL. You know, when these teams get inside the other team's territory, when he's when an offense gets on, on the plus side of 50, it seems like a lot of these got a lot of these uh, kickers are already in their range. So, you know, it, it's, it's such an amazing thing. Uh, the overabundance of kickers in today's NFL compared to the other positions. You know, it's almost getting to the point now where uh, you have to wonder if it's worth it. You know, Boswell has a pretty decent contract and I'm not saying, you know, send him packing, but you have to wonder moving forward if, if teams are going to be willing to, to give hefty for kickers, hefty contracts to really good kickers, or if they're just going to want to take their chances with being able to find a, a, a another kicker of that caliber, uh, you know, on a practice squad or, or, or just as, as an unsigned free agent. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's incredible what, what, uh, what these guys are doing in that, on that side, in that area of football. And uh, speaking of special teams, I'd be remiss without mentioning uh, the dear Presley Harbin, the third, the punter and, the punt he had at the end of that game that pinned the Falcons down at the two. I mean, it was, it was, it was perfect. It was a thing of beauty, uh, 38 yards. Uh, he hit it just right. It bounced up and went, instead of going towards the end, it went kind of up in the air and came back a little bit towards the, uh, you know, the field and, and they, they downed it at the two and one play later, Minka Fitzpatrick picked off uh, Marcus Mariota and I mean, he could have taken, he could have taken it to into the end zone for, a touchdown to put the game away. Uh, you know, it, it would have been 26 to 16 with what, 40 seconds or whatever it was, 35 seconds. And, you know, they, they call it a smart play, which it was because all Pittsburgh had to do was, was uh, kneel on the ball three, uh, one time and, and the game was over. It's, Atlanta didn't have, have any uh, timeouts left, but really he could have taken it to the house and that's what it still would have effectively ended the game. 
I highly doubt the, the Falcons would, would have been able to uh, put two drives together in in 40 seconds. And, 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 and if they even had a chance, they would have had to uh, score and then recover the onside kick. So the odds were pretty long. But I thought it was funny when he was asked about that after the game. And don't get me wrong, it was a smart play. That was the right. That was the top thing to do. Or that was the best thing to do there. It's just run out of bounds and, and and give the ball back to the offense and let them kneel it out. But he said, I just didn't want to go back out there. When, when I asked him why you did that, he didn't feel like going back out there. And to me, that was the best answer. Uh, but, it, you know, I thought it was a great overall game for the for the defense. They did struggle in the second half a bit with, with defending the run. All in all, the Falcons had 146 yards on the ground. And, and as I mentioned last week, they, were, they, they came into the day fourth overall. Uh, and they had four uh, legit targets or four legit um, guys, three running backs and Mariota who who were contributing 300 plus yards each for four different guys. So they had a, a really uh, effective and, and um, unorthodox uh, running game and, and Pittsburgh struggled in the second half to stop them. But uh, to their credit, they, they only allowed the one touchdown and, uh, they, they held the Falcons to a field goal late in the game when it looked like uh, they were going to take the lead with about five minutes left. Uh, uh, Patterson, Cordero Patterson, had a touchdown uh, with about five minutes left, but it was called back for holding, and Pittsburgh for, forced a field goal eventually and, to make it 19-16. And um, Pittsburgh ran a, a, uh, the offense did a good job, I think, of running a lot of time off the clock. Uh, they picked up a, a big first down with less than two minutes to go, p- pick it to Deontay Johnson. Um, and then, you know, you know, they couldn't pick up another first down after that, but they did run enough time off the clock and they forced the Falcons to use all this. Of course, Harvard punt uh, down to the two, and that paved the way for the, for the, uh, Fitzpatrick pick and that, that that was it. So all in all, it was it was a great win, and it proves Pittsburgh's record to five and seven. And we're going to talk about what that means after the break. So uh, take some time to to listen to a word from our sponsor, and I'll see you and I'll, I'll see you back here in a minute or so on the six pack. Right, welcome back. back to the second half of Friday Night Six Pack with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Defio. And I discussed Mogi, the Steelers-Falcons game uh, in the first half of the show. It was pretty much a, a review of that show. Uh, a victory, a 19-16 victory that, that improves the Steelers' record to 5-7. and seven. Heading into Ravens week, as was mentioned in the first half of the show. It is Ravens week. And it's always a big uh, game on the on the calendar, and it's one of two down the stretch over the last uh, five weeks. So um, the first one's at Acrisure Stadium on Sunday, and uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if they win this game to improve the six and seven, then I think you can legitimately say that the Steelers would be in the hunt for the playoffs. Uh, would the, would their odds still be pretty long? Of course, of course, it'd be pretty long. Uh, you know, they already lost to the Jets. They lost to the Patriots. Uh, the best they can do in the conference as far as uh, um, winning percentage is six and five. So they have a lot going against them. But at six and seven, assuming that, that the uh, the Jets lose to the Bills on the road, uh, the Bills are 10-point underdogs. They go into Sunday's game in Buffalo at seven and five, if they lose that game, which I assume that they're going to lose, then they, they would be six, seven and six. If Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh wins, they would be six and seven. And uh, yes, they would still have their work cut out for them. They would still have to overcome some stuff. But being a game out of the seventh seed, the, the Jets are currently the seventh seed going into the weekend um, in the playoff picture. Being a game out with, with a month ago, that's huge when you consider the fact that they were just two and six not long ago. So this is big. This this game this weekend against the Ravens is huge. 
and if they can somehow pull it off, and in case you didn't hear the news, Lamar Jackson, who suffered a knee injury last week in, in the the uh, Ravens 10-9 win over the uh, Broncos, he's doubtful for the game. He's probably not going to play. There's probably like a 99.9% chance he doesn't play in this game. And he's such a big part of what they of their identity on their identity on offense. They are the number two rushing offense in the NFL, and he is their leading rusher with 764 yards. You know they have a pretty good, <coughs> excuse me, uh, trio of running backs: <coughs> J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. <coughs> excuse me, too many, too much, too much talking. Uh, Duvernay, I think he's your leading rusher, 421. But none of those running backs come close to, to the production that, that Jackson gave them before the injury. So not having him in there is going to be big. And Tyler Huntley, who's a really good backup, uh, he's going to start where he should, he's expected to start uh, against the Steelers on Sunday. And again, he's a good backup. And he's a, he's a pretty good athlete, but he's not anywhere near the runner that Jackson is. So that's going to take a, an element of their offense away in this game. And if Pittsburgh can find a way to make this make optional, if they can totally take the uh, the, the running game, not I shouldn't say totally. It's going to be hard to totally take that running game away. But if they can if they can uh, uh, make it far less effective than it normally ha- is, uh, and that's going to that's going to really set the defense up for, for having a big day. You know, now, you know, uh, the Ravens don't have a whole lot going on as far as the passing game. Uh, Mark Andrews is their top receiver, the tight end. Um, and from what I understand, he's pretty banged up. Uh, their receivers aren't that dynamic. Rashad Bateman, the second year receiver, he's pretty good, but he hasn't really been all that productive this year. Um, there really isn't anybody that scares me as far as their receivers are concerned. So if they can shut down that running game or at least make it far less effective, uh, the defense could have a big game and they can really make life miserable for Huntley, the, the backup quarterback. So that's what I, I expect Pittsburgh to, to, to try to, to, to neutralize the running game and, and, and build from there on defense. As far as the offense, it's probably going to be a tough day. Uh, for Pickett and company, you know, the Ravens have a really good defense. Um, uh, they have by uh, uh, Humphrey, Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Peters is, is obviously a really good uh, uh, cornerback. Uh, they have a, a fine uh, pass rush. I believe they have what, 37 or 30 some sacks this year, I believe. 30, I think it's 37 is the number. Uh, Calais Campbell has been productive this year. Justin Houston has nine sacks. It feels like he's 105 years old, but he's only 33 and he has nine sacks. So um, their pass rush is, is, is certainly formidable. Patrick Queen, the inside linebacker, he's a, a dynamic player. Um, uh, they have 20 takeaways on defense. So, you know, that uh, four game stretch of not turning the ball over, that's, you know, it's going to uh, face a serious uh, test this week against the Ravens. So it might be a tough day for, for the offense. Uh, so that's why I anticipate the defense being able to, to make a, a splash play or two or three and, and set the offense up or, or maybe score a touchdown themselves and be, and be a difference in this game. And I, I f- certainly expect this, this, um, game to be your typical Steelers Ravens game that goes right down to the wire and that's settled by three points and maybe even uh that three points comes on a last second field goal or a, a field goal in overtime and I expect maybe a 20 to 17 win for the Steelers something like that I expect them to pull this game out it's not easy but it never is against the Ravens as you saw last year uh, that exciting game in Heinz Field. It was about a, about a year ago, really, at this time, uh, when the Ravens came back and, and, and scored a touchdown with just mere seconds left. And uh, Harbaugh, in his wisdom, <laughs> John Harbaugh, decided to go for two. And, you know, it, it may have worked if, if the execution was there, but it wasn't there. 
Uh, Jackson missed an, an open Mark Andrews. I mean, in his defense, TJ Watt was about ready to sack him, but uh, he missed a wide open Andrews. Uh, and the uh, Pittsburgh won 20 to 19. And then uh, in week uh, 18, the last game of the year with, with both teams, I think we're still in playoff contention. I know Pittsburgh was, but both teams were probably in playoff contention at that point. And it went into overtime and uh, Chris Boswell ended things with a field goal and kept Pittsburgh's uh, season alive. And of course they had to wait out that Raiders chargers game to finally uh, punch their ticket into the uh, postseason. So both games last year were, were exciting and, and, and gut wrenching and, and heart attack inducing. And I, I firmly, I, Expect that to be the case again on Sunday at Akershore Stadium. So those are my thoughts on, on that. And um, before I get more into the Ravens and Steelers, I want to talk more about, uh, you know, what happens if they win this game to, to improve the, the six and seven. I have no doubt in my mind. It, it's going to, it's going to, I think people right now at five and seven, they're, they're they want to be optimistic about, the, uh, a playoff push. They, they want to, they want to have that hope. I think the fans want to have that hope, but I think they're afraid. They're afraid right now to, 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 to get their hopes up. And I don't blame them. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. They were two and six and they looked like arguably the worst team in football. And now after winning three, hour, they're right on the cusp of being in the hunt. I don't think they're quite in the hunt yet, but they're, they're almost there. So if they win this week, it's going to be hard to, to, to stop people from, from, from having true genuine hope that Pittsburgh can go on a run and at least go into the final week still alive for the playoffs, which, you know, uh, as I've heard Mike Florio say so many times, you know, the, the uh, NBC guy, the, the pro football talk guy, I'm never counting out Mike Tomlin. And, you know, I'm 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 kind of shocked that, the, that they were able to make this little turn have this little turnaround over the last month, but I'm not shocked because I've seen it before. The only difference this time around, there's no there's no Ben Roethlisberger, you know. So, uh, um, that's that's the one thing that's the one element that's that's different from years past when Mike Tomlin teams have gotten off the poor starts and then found themselves uh, in the hunt at the end. So, you know. If they lose this week, I think that pretty much is the nail in the coffin because you're talking about being two and six uh, in, in the conference, which, you know, the best you can be at that point would be five and six. Essentially, they have to they have to win out to really have a, have a chance at the playoffs. If they don't win out, then forget it. But if they win out, then I'd like to see I'd like to see them how, how that all plays out at the end, where they're where they're sitting at 10 if they somehow make it to 10 and seven. And, you know, if they do win this week, then you're talking about them going to Carolina and playing a bad Carolina team. And I realize both teams would still be below 500 at that point. But I think a lot of people would expect Pittsburgh to go there and take care of business, provided they beat the Ravens. And then you're talking about seven and seven. And then you have the, the big uh, 50th anniversary game against the Raiders, the immaculate reception game on Christmas Eve after that. Uh, and, and, the, and the Raiders lost a bad game on uh, Thursday night to the to the Rams. Baker Mayfield, of all people, came into that game without any practice. He was just uh, waved the other day. The Rams claimed him, and he throws a game-winning touchdown. So that was a bad loss by the Raiders to fall to their five and eight now. So, you know, certainly if, if you're seven and seven at that point, taking on the Raiders at home, even though the Raiders always give them trouble. We know that. I think if you're a Steeler fan, you have to be, you're probably going to be feeling pretty confident about that game. As others have said this week, it would feel like it's their destiny to win that game. The 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception at home. You're, you're retiring Franco Harris is number 32 in that game. Uh, you know, then you're looking at possibly eight and seven going into, into the last two games against the Ravens on the road, then the Browns at home to end the year. You know, I, I think it'd be hard not to not to be super excited uh, 
about the possibilities if they if they win this Sunday. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to go to Carolina and win, or they're gonna, or they're going to uh, beat the Raiders in that uh, big game, that that uh, sentimental game in a couple weeks. But I'm just saying, people would start to believe it. They would start to believe it so much so that you know if they do beat the Ravens this week. I guarantee you there, there's a lot of fans out there and, and, and media members who would say, yikes, is this, is this Carolina game a trap game? That's how far it would, it would go from uh, two and six right before Halloween and possibly having the, the top pick in the draft next year to, to, uh, to, uh, to now. That's how far we, 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 we would go. You're going from possibly having the number one pick to, oh my gosh, is this Carolina game a, a trap game that's going to cost them the playoffs? you know, or, or staying in the playoff hunt. So that's, to me, that's how big this game is this week against the Ravens. So I'm confident that they can, uh, they, they can pull this out. You know, you know, sometimes life's all about whether it's in sports or real life, it's about timing. It's about uh, breaks and not having Lamar Jackson to deal, even though they do pretty well against him over the, historically. I'd, I'd I'd say you know I'd still rather face Tyler Huntley than Lamar Jackson. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this game. It's going to be super intense, and really, it's probably going to be the first time this year I have butterflies in my stomach watching a game because it it, it could uh, mean so much if they if they find a way to win. And plus, I hate the Ravens. And I, I always want them to beat the Ravens. So on uh, that note, I have one more topic to cover. And it involves the Ravens and the Steelers. And I, I listen to a lot of talk radio. I listen to 93.7 fan a lot. And the host on the, the afternoon show today on Friday, we're talking about uh, the rivalry between the Steelers and the Ravens. And if it's lost, it's luster. And of course it has. Um, it's not what it was 10, 12, 15 years ago. And, you know, the hosts were citing, well, it's because, the game's not as violent as, as it used to be, and this this game used to be so violent. If you go back to the 08 AFC Championship game, how hard hitting that was. Some people say it was the hardest, most violent game ever. Maybe uh, certainly in a modern era, anyway. And there's certainly an argument to be made for that. Just ask uh, uh, Willie McGinnis and, and and is that Willie McGinnis? Willie McGahey, I'm sorry, <laughs> Ron Clark and those guys. It was a hard hitting uh, game. Um. But I think I don't think it's as as big as it used to be, because even though the games are still pretty close and exciting, and, and oftentimes uh, one or, or both teams are in the playoff hunt, it's not as big as it used to be. This rivalry, because when it was at its apex, I'd say in the late 00s and the very early 2010s, both teams were legitimately not just playoff teams; they were legitimately good enough. To win the Super Bowl. Good enough. If you go from like 08 through 2011, these were legitimately two of the best franchises in the NFL. And to me, that's about as compelling a rivalry as you can get. When you have two teams from the same conference that are both that are good enough to win the whole thing, and they have and they have to go through each other to, to, to not just to win it, but just to get to the game, get to the super just to get to the Super Bowl. And you know. One of those two teams is not even going to be in the Super Bowl. You know, that, to me, that's 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 fascinating and it's compelling. And if you think back back um, over the years, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and, and the Raiders in the seventies, they were legit Super Bowl contenders, and, and they were playing in the same conference, and they had to go through each other every year, five straight years in the AFC Championship game. Uh, you, know, you know, like the nineties, you had the the Forty Niners and the Cowboys. Uh, the 2000s, you had, you had you had the Patriots and the Steelers. They were both legit, even though it was a one-sided uh, rivalry with the Patriots owning Pittsburgh. Uh, but you also had the Patriots and the Colts, the Peyton Manning Colts. Uh, that was compelling because, again, it, it was two teams from the same conference uh, who were both good enough to win the whole thing, but you knew only one of those teams was, was even going to be able to get to the big game. And I think it's even more compelling when you have two teams like that from the same division, which, which uh, that, that summed up Pittsburgh and, and, and Baltimore from 08 through 2011. They were obviously in the same division, but they were both legitimately good enough to win it all. And 
the winner of the division set set themselves up for for a uh, a legit chance of getting there, and the loser was really at a disadvantage once it, once the postseason started because you're talking about playing an extra game, playing all your games on the road. I mean, there was so much at stake when those two those two teams went at it. And uh, you know, you, you think back to the '70s again, you know, Pittsburgh and Houston, you know, same division, AFC Central. And uh, you know the Oilers were were damn good, so good in fact that they made it to the AFC Championship game two years in a row. But they had to do that out of the wild card round because Pittsburgh uh, reigned supreme in, in the division. They they kept winning the, the uh, division every year, and Houston could not overcome that. They couldn't knock that door down to to quote Bum Phillips. And you know, two years in a row, the Oilers just ran out of time at three river stadium. So that was epic. And, you know, if you, if you go back to the, to the Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore, you know, Oh eight, they played each other in the playoffs. The winner of that game uh, won the Super Bowl. 2010, they played each other in the playoffs. The winner of that game went to the Super Bowl. Uh, 2011, both teams finished 12 and four, but the Ravens swept Pittsburgh in the regular season. They got the, uh, they won the division. They got the number two seed in the bye, and Pittsburgh was was uh, relegated to to the uh, fifth seed, and, and having to play all its games on the road. And of course, they got Tim Tebow out of the playoffs. And the Ravens, by right, should have went to the Super Bowl that year, if not for Lee Evans dropping a pass in, in the AFC Championship game, and then their kicker missing a chip shot field goal that would have sent it into overtime. So that's why that that rivalry was so big not just because they were great games and they were close games every time they played but there was so much at stake and that's what's missing uh nowadays the games are still as exciting and close but really neither one of these teams have been legit super bowl contenders for a decade you know um you know the ravens have made the playoffs four times Super Bowl in 2012 they won two uh, playoff games Pittsburgh's uh, made the playoffs, what, uh, seven times since they went to the Super Bowl. And as you know, games. so that's really the difference between now and then. They're still heated rivals. They're still playing great games, but there's just not nearly as much at stake. Like you see when the Chiefs and the Bills go out of time, or now maybe the Chiefs and the Bengals are, are that kind of uh, a rival where uh, – they're both good enough to, to go all the way, but only one's going to even get to the game. You know, so that's the difference between between the old Steelers Ravens and the new Steelers Ravens rival rivalry. So, wow, I've talked a lot tonight. I'm really excited and pumped up about the game. I'm gonna I'm gonna end tonight's show as I always do by highlighting some comments and answering some questions. Let's see what Ron. I'm sorry. Ron Chesset. The second I go to the comments section, I and I put that anyway. And Ron says Steelers play air free, run ball, play solid defense. That's all I care about. That's probably a win, meaning against the Ravens, hopefully. But I think that's that's definitely the formula. And Dill Willett, who I haven't seen in a while, welcome Dill Willett. And Dill Willett says. We, meaning the Steelers, need all three areas of the team to be working in these final weeks. If they do, all we can, if they do, if they all do, we can run. Um, okay, uh, I, I can't make that up, but I, I, I get what you're saying. Ron Chess says, Tony, my fellow Pittsburgher. Yep, I, I hope you, I don't know where you live, Ron, but I, I still live in Pittsburgh. Hopefully uh, you're close by. Let's see I, what else we have here. As I, this one from Brian Brown, who says there's always a possibility that Harbaugh, of Harbaugh doing something over the over aggressive and dumb. That's true. For some reason, he gets credit for that. For some reason, when Harbaugh plays R- Riverboat Gambler and it doesn't go well, uh, they spend the whole year talking about how great that. Oh, I like that call. It didn't work, but I like it. Yeah, we can't get over the fact that Tomlin went for two points three times against the Cowboys back in 2016. 
he was unsuccessful three times and they lost the game at what a point or whatever it was, two points. And people cite that all the time. That was stupid. But that Harbaugh does it last year, cost him the playoffs ultimately. And people can't stop praising him. I don't get it. Uh, this whole thing with Harbaugh being such a much better coach than Tomlin when the evidence just isn't there. I don't get it. Other than people think the grass is always greener uh, with John Harbaugh. As opposed to Mike, I don't know. I don't get it. It's just, it's just, it drives me crazy. All right. Jewett, who says, this is the, let's see who Kenny is kind of game. That's a good point there, Brad. I mean, you know, they, they, Kenny hasn't had that breakout moment yet. He's had some good moments. He's had some good games, but he hasn't had that it game yet. That's one thing that's missing from his resume right now is that it, game or that it moment where you go wow i see this guy as the future of the franchise we haven't seen that yet we've seen glimpses where he, that 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 suggested he could be a very good quarterback and, and 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 but we haven't seen that superstar thing yet from him yet maybe we'll see that this sunday against the ravens wouldn't that be sweet another one from ron chess and he said tony this game is a big challenge for the o-line that's been playing better. It's been running the ball great, but you're right. It's Ravens and Steelers and Steelers have beat them so many times in a row. Actually. Mark Malone says, I'm tired of all these games going in, into the last minute. Yeah. Well, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Steel nation four, one, two says, that the Ravens haven't beat Pittsburgh since 2019. That's right. Since 2019. That's the last time that's that's happened. I believe RG3 was the quarterback back then. And Doug Hodges was, was the quarterback for Pittsburgh. Deal what it says, 23-16 Steelers. I'll take that. Actually, that'd be a almost like a blowout for these two teams. And Steelers Chick 46 says that Baltimore has not beat Pittsburgh this decade. Very accurate. Brian Brown says of that uh, two-point try in that last year at Heinz Field then, that T.J. Watt blew up the extra point. He sure did. And speaking of T.J. Watt, uh, uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, he's questionable for Sunday's game with that rib injury. But but according to people like, uh, well, T.J. Watt himself and Mark Caboli, who's an insider for The Athletic, uh, he's expected to play. So we'll see. Um, But last I read, uh, they were going to – see how he feels on Sunday, which yikes game time decision. Good thing. Uh, edge rushers aren't on your fantasy team, right? And this is one from Steeler chick 46. Thank you, Baker for beating the Raiders. I think it's, I think it's safe now. Totally safe to cheer for Baker Mayfield. He's with the Rams. He just beat the Raiders. Uh, he's in a different conference. I think we could cheer for Baker now, right? Why not? Deal with it says Steelers finish at least nine and eight, if not ten and seven, which I think they need for a playoff spot to uh, uh, to run it to run the table. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take because again, they have so many they have so many uh, tiebreakers going against them right now, specifically the conference and. You know, you got the Jets at seven and five. Uh, you know, they could they could find a way to win two of their last five, even though they have a tough schedule, starting with this week with the Bills. You have the uh, the Chargers and and, and the uh, Patriots at six and six. So you know, their best bet would be to run the table if they want to make it in, um, because you know, obviously the, the Jets have the advantage have the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh because they beat them in week four. The Patriots beat them in week week two. So basically, they have to they have to run the table and hope that these other teams kind of falter. You know, the Jets really have to lose if Pittsburgh if Pittsburgh runs the table, then the Jets would have to lose three out of five down the stretch, which is very possible. Uh, uh, the Patriots they they have a pretty tough schedule too. I think they finish with the uh, the Dolphins, uh, the Bengals, and and the Bills. It, it, it all depends. It remains to be seen with the Bills. We'll have it stake in that last game. It's in Buffalo. 
Um, but still, it's a pretty tough uh, way to end your season if you're the Patriots. They're a game up, plus they have the tiebreaker. So, you know, they have to kind of go into a slump down the stretch. Uh, the Chargers have, a, from what I, I I did some research, they have a the easiest schedule of those three teams ahead of Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, but they're, they are the Chargers, and they, they, have a, they have a way of shooting themselves in the foot. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I mean, it's I'm just getting – I don't want to have hope yet. I, I want to – I'm dreaming about having hope. I, I'm not quite there with the hope part yet, even though I, I, it might seem like I, I have hope. But if they do win this week, then that hope is going to be ratcheted up, and it's going to be legit. And I'm going to start dreaming about the playoffs, which I never thought I would do. Uh, and believe me, playoff hope in December, whether they make it or not, is way, way, way better than draft talk in December. You know, I'd rather have playoff hope that comes up short <laughs> than draft talk in December. Any day of the week, I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel. Uh, you wait all season to watch this team. You wait all, what, six months or whatever it is, eight months to watch this team. Then you're talking about the draft uh, in November, December. Please, I don't want any parts of that. All right, I've talked enough. I, I really, really just talking too fast tonight. I'm just really, really just excited about how things are up the Steelers right now. But uh, it's time to bid you all adieu. Um, keep checking back to Behind the Star Curtain, the website, and the podcasting side for all your Steelers content. Enjoy that game on on uh, on Sunday. Hopefully, it's a big win. And hopefully, next week uh, at this time, we're talking about how they better not lay an egg against the Panthers. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, let's hope we're not talking about being a, a another Tomlin uh, trap game. So until I talk to you on Monday on The Hangover, you have a great weekend. And as always, go Steelers. Take care, everybody.